right, good morning. How are y'all? Yeah, good. Sandra's just crushing the taco up front. I love it. I love it. You didn't think I was going to call you out on that? I, uh, I definitely just drank like 48 ounces of water, so luckily no one's sitting here, but sorry if you get showered a little bit. Uh, good to be here with you all today. Uh, my name is Tori. Sorry. One of the pastors here at The Well uh, is good to be here with you all this morning. So uh, I just wanted to say kind of before we dive in um, that, man, I just I really, really, really love y'all. I love this church, love this family. Um, It is encouraging to see who God is bringing together to kind of highlight his name and to chase after his glory and how he is piecing the church together in these beautiful kind of profound ways sometimes. And so, man, I just, I I love that. So I love you guys. Thank you for loving each other well, for loving me, my family well. It's just, it's encouraging to be a part of this amazing family, all right? No catch 22 there, okay? I'm not like love sandwiching you, all right? There's no rebuke coming on the back end of that. I just wanted to say that to start. So, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Genesis, uh, the end of chapter 18, and also chapter 19 today. Uh, We are going through Genesis as a church, so uh, if you are new, that's why we're in the middle of Genesis right now. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word of God to be able to read it during the week, and so please, please, please take that home with you. Uh, we would love for you to have it. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the Version app underneath the tab section, click on events, type in the Well Austin, and you can follow along that way. Uh, there are notes and the sermon, uh, all the scriptures will be on there, stuff like that. Or you can just take this link and put it right into your browser. You can follow along that way. Uh, we say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word, okay? We think that there's power in the word of God, that this is the Holy Spirit inspiring men to write the very words of God that will minister to us throughout all the generations of humanity on earth. And so that's why we want to be in the text. I don't just want to make up things or, uh, or do this all alone. Right? Like these are the very words of God to us. And so we want your eyes on that. All right. So we're going to do something a little bit different. Okay. Uh, usually what we do is we go verse by verse or kind of section by section and uh, really exegete the passage. But what I want to do is I want to read the passage as a whole today. So we're going to read the whole thing, and it's a pretty long passage, so I need you to stay with me, all right? But I think that if we have the whole narrative in our head, then it'll make more sense for us as we uh, begin to chop it up in general. And so we're just going to read the the whole thing, all right? So Genesis chapter 18, and uh, we are going to pick it up where we left off last week, and we'll start in verse 21. This is the Lord speaking, and he said, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So real quick, before God judges the earth, which is what we'll get to in a second, we see him coming down and examining the earth. In other words, God is a just judge. He doesn't just do things flippantly or randomly. He comes down in Genesis 3 to examine Adam and Eve. He comes down in the times of Noah to examine. He comes down in the times of Sodom to examine. So every time we see judgment, we also see God coming down to make sure the judgment is true and just. So God is a good, a just God. He's not a random God, okay? So we see God present again. Verse 22, so the men, that's the only verse by verse we'll go through. Now I'll read the whole narrative, right? (laughs) So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. 
Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose for five of the 50 are righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, Lord, or oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house, and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early, and go on your way." They said, no, we will not spend the night in the town, or we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let, the, let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn and has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out with groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone who you have in the city, bring them out to the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought them out, 
or I'm sorry, as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that God destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived." Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in after the manner of, or into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. But the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both of the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son uh, and called his name Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami, and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the really awkward and strange NR17 word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God, all right? (laughs) Now, if you are a new Christian, all right, or maybe you are not a Christian and you're seeking the Lord or new to church or new to the Bible, and you begin to read this, you're probably saying, what the cuss? Right? Like, what in the world is going on? Like, this appears to be like a medium-budget soap opera to some extent, right? Like, all these crazy things is happening. And you'd be right to be confused and almost taken aback by this text. Like, the fact that the biblical authors even laid this in here is astounding in and of itself, most of the reasons of which do not need to be stated why you should be astounded. But one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's honest. It's raw. It's straightforward, okay? It doesn't sugarcoat things. If you are looking for a cute, you know, Disney princess movie with happy endings and lilies around it, like you're not going to find it in this book. 
Because this book is honest and it's raw and it's straightforward. And what it's doing is it is showing us the effect of sin unhindered of sin when it is allowed to expand to its full extent. It's showing us what will happen. And so the Bible is just straightforward and it's real and it says some crazy things that if you've never read this story before, you may be thinking, what are we reading this morning, right? This is the word of the Lord, the inspired words of God showing us what happens when sin is in effect. So what we're going to do with this text today is we're going to look at seven different characters, okay? Yes, seven. And we won't do a 90-minute sermon, don't worry, all right? Just 80 minutes. And we're going to look at all seven characters, and they all actually uh, uh, involve Lot. They are all kind of uh, have to do with Lot. In fact, if you caught in the story, what's Lot's wife's name? Lot's wife. What about his daughter's? or his sons-in-law, or the neighbors, or it all has to do with Lot. So this story is actually centered around the person Lot, and it's trying to display some things for us. And so we're going to look at the effects of sin, and how each of these seven characters kind of handle sin, or their thoughts towards sin, their their attitude, how sin affects them. And then we hope that we're going to be able to kind of tie it into our own lives as as well, and see some of the ramifications of sin, okay? So the first character we see is Lot. All right, and Lot, very simply, he just dwells in sin. There's a slide here for that. All right, so Lot dwells in sin, and in a lot of ways, what Lot is, is he's apathetic, right? He's, he's apathetic. He doesn't really care that much, and we can see. So Lot is a person who believes in God, or as we would say today, Lot is a Christian. Like, Lot believes in the Lord. You see this even in the fact that he was saved from destruction, as we think that Christians will be too. So Lot, in a lot of ways, really had belief in God. In fact, the New Testament calls Lot a righteous man, which is kind of interesting, because if we think righteousness is based off of works, Lot for sure isn't righteous, Right? But because righteousness is by faith, Lot did believe in God, but Lot believed in God but didn't really seek to follow God that much. He was very apathetic in the way that he approached God, and therefore what we just read is what was becoming of Lot's life. Sin unhindered, sin not submitted to the cross or the throne of God, and this is what begins to happen. If we look real quick, it'll be on the screen, you'll have a turn here, but Genesis 13, 12, it reads this. It says, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So here, Lot is outside of the city. He's kind of dwelling closer and closer and closer to the city, but he hasn't gone into the city yet. However, in Genesis 19, verse 1, we meet Lot at the gate of the city, which actually means he didn't just move into the city, as we see he takes the angels into his house, but he's literally a leader in the city. Like Lot is is leading this wicked, wicked city. Right? This reminds us of Psalm 1-1 in a lot of ways. It says, the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you see that progression of sin there? Right? First you're walking by it like the man in Proverbs 7, then you're standing in the midst of it, and then you're sitting in the very throne of sin. In some ways you're apathetic towards sin, you're, you're not thinking about it a lot, and slowly but surely you inch closer and closer to sin. So Lot seems to make the same sort of progression as he inches towards sin in that life. Furthermore, in verses 7 and 8, we see Lot offer up his daughters who are going to be married to his sons in law, right? Like what type of man is this, okay? And so once again, if you are looking for characters in which to emulate in the Bible, you won't find many of them. In fact, you'll find one, 
right? But Lot here, though he believes in God, but he's not checking sin, he's not thinking about it, and he does some crazy things, like offer up his daughters, okay? And really, in a lot of ways, this should actually be encouraging to you right away because the Bible isn't filled with a list of people that it wants you to be like. It's filled with a list of people that are really like us, sinners in need of Jesus. We need the grace of God because if we don't, then we end up in the same position. Now, I know when we read a text as extravagant as this, we're going to be tempted to disassociate ourselves from the text. Like, ah, yeah, a lot. That's crazy, man. This is really crazy. Look at this. This is in the Bible. I can't believe this. But we don't think that we ourselves are like that. Right? Lot is clearly confused. He's clearly doing things that he's not supposed to do. But we may either think, man, what a foolish man. And we kind of judge him because we're so much better. Right? Or, or we begin to disassociate and just go, well, I can't really relate with that, okay? One of the things that I want to say is that uh, these things do happen, right? Like the story that we're reading is not so absurd of a story that it's never happened before in the history of mankind except for here in the Bible, right? Like even I thought about in my own family's life and my granny, for example, there's all sorts of stories with her that would relate to this. But one of them that I know is as painful as you think about it is that my granny, when she was between eight and 12, got prostituted by my great grandmother because they were trying to make rent. And so they couldn't afford to make rent. And so my great grandmother would give this eight to 12 year old away to these grown men. And she would literally prostitute her out that they may make money. Now, we may say, well, that sounds absurd. I would never do that. And hopefully you're right. Hopefully you would never do that. But what we see is when sin becomes a, a left unchecked, when we don't think about the ramifications, then we begin to justify sin. We begin to think, well, this is the only way. Look at this situation that I'm in. And we begin to try to maneuver our ways around, not realizing the ramifications that sin has. And so this story isn't so absurd that stuff like that doesn't happen. Stuff like this happens all the time. Okay? But furthermore, What's happening in Lot's life doesn't seem that bad to him unless you're outside of the picture. See, when we look at it 30,000 feet up, removed from the picture, we go, what an imbecile, right? Like, like, how could a man do something like this? But if we know in our own lives, we've justified so many things that we haven't even thought were that bad until we were removed from them, and then we realize, wow, that's really bad. I mean, you think about the history of our country right, what we did to the Native Americans, what we did to blacks and slaves, like at the time they were literally using scripture to justify what they were doing. And we think, well, 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 we're not like that, but what are we doing right now in our culture that's just as bad and we're justifying it? Like we're just saying, ah, oh, yeah, like, and then when we get removed from it, we'll realize, man, that, that's crazy, what were we thinking, right? It's so easy to justify sin when you're in the midst of it when it's left unchecked, okay? You think about something even really, really, really simple. Like, this isn't like this type of story, right? But back in the day when I grew up, it was really, really cool to ride in the back of a pickup truck, right? You remember that? Some of y'all, right? You'd hop in the back of a pickup truck and the cool dad would like drive around like doing wheelies and stuff and you're like, woohoo! If you saw that today, you'd call CPS, right? It's like, that's unsafe. That's unlawful. We literally changed the law. So we even see that we think very differently, but at the time it seemed to be a good thing. Well, this is true in something minute as that, all the way down to the depths of things. When sin is left unchecked, we even begin to not realize the effects of it. It just seems normal. 
That's what it seemed for Lot. It just seemed normal. And this is what happens when we dwell in sin, when we don't confess it to others, when we're not constant in the word and constant in prayer and constant in fellowship with one another. It goes from walking to standing to sitting in sin, and you don't even see the progression of it. Hebrews 3.13 is a great passage for this. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. A really easy way to put that in our language is, you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness if you don't meet with one another. That's what that text is saying, right? Sin is more deceitful, more tricky than you are wise. In fact, if you think that sin is not able to deceive you and have you sitting in its very seat, then you may be in the most dangerous place in the room because sin is deceitful. It gets into our crevices. It's actually already evil within us, Romans 7 says. So it is easy for us to fall victim to sin. And so we have to realize what is going on here. Lot, being away from community, away from God-fearing Abraham and other people, it was left unchecked. And Lot was just kind of by himself, just doing what he thought to be right, but clearly doing crazy and very, very wrong things. Sin is tricking him. It's ruining him. It's deteriorating him in so many ways. Like a delicate flower in the midst of scorching sun, so is our souls away from community, the word of God, and prayer. Sin's sun will melt. It will wither us away until we become nothing left. It deteriorates us. It destroys us. And this is what happens when we allow sin to encroach. When we're apathetic towards sin, we're even apathetic toward God, as Lot was. It's scary. And so we see the effects of sin unchecked, okay? Lot, once again, New Testament says that his soul was being tormented. But what is it being tormented by? It's being tormented by sin. And it's unraveling him. It's making him into a man that he can't even imagine. I'm sure when Lot stepped away from the issue too, he went, what was I thinking? Like I'm sure some of us have been in seasons of sin. Sin sucks. Sin sucks, friends. It sucks. And it ruins our lives. But we treat it like it's child's play. Like it's not a lion seeking to devour us. Like it can't unravel us. Sin deteriorates us in so many ways. But we act like it's just, oh, whatever, right? I'll just try to be good enough. I'll try to do better next time. No, no, no. That's you walking, standing, sitting. And we have to realize the effects of it. That's why scripture is just so uh, NR17 about this text, right? It's so raw. It's like, this is what happens, and it tries to show it in its full effect. And so Lot, sitting in the city, probably doesn't think he sins doing that much damage. He's ruling over Sodom and Gomorrah, which is always, by the way, in the rest of the scripture, an analogy. It's a, it's a picture, if you will, of sin at its fullest, of what happens when sin begins to get more and more and more. Okay, and so this is Lot, dwelling. He's apathetic. It's unraveling everything. Interestingly, Lot and Abraham are compared and contrasted in the two chapters. In chapter 18 and chapter 19, what it actually is, is it's a comparison in a lot of ways between Abraham and Lot. In fact, there are 18 different comparisons between Abraham and Lot in chapters 18 and 19. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I started typing out, and I was like, 18 is just way too many. All right, so I'm not even gonna lie. I ain't typed none of that out, okay? So if you wanna look at it, you can find it yourself. We need more staff, all right? That's where we're at now, okay? <laughs> so you can look at it for yourself. It's pretty cool, all right? But one of the things that it shows is essentially, it's uh, one of the words that we see over and over again is the word look. 
Look, 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 look. Abraham looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He looked up at the angels. Sarah looked toward the angels. Lot's wife looked back. Lot looked at the angels. It's all over the place, this word look, over and over and over again. And so in a lot of ways, the theme could be what one looks at, one will become, and what one looks for, one will get. If we, like Abraham, look to Jesus, then friends, we get Jesus. We're made like him. If we have an eternal perspective, if we think about eternity, guess what we get? Good job, right? right. If we look toward earth, guess what we get? Earth. If we look toward sin, guess what we get? Sin. And it unravels us. What you look for at is what you will become. But if our eyes are fixed in front of us, fixed on Jesus, then it begins to turn. Okay, Sin is in a lot of ways selling ourselves short. That's why Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter on faith. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely to you, it says. Right? It's like a chain where you're trying to run, but there's this ball on you. No, look to Jesus. Don't look at that, and you'll break free of that, it says. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. What about the other characters, though? Okay, We're literally going to sprint through these characters. I mean, spend like one to two minutes per each character. All right, But in a lot of ways, they just show us more of the same, more of the effects of sin. There's a really important difference, though. Lot was a Christian, we'll call him, for our language. Lot believed in Yahweh, believed in God, Okay, and therefore he was saved. He was just dwelling in it. All the rest of these people do not believe in God, and that results in their death, ultimately. It results in them being wiped away from the presence of God. Okay, so the next character is Lot's neighbors. In verses 4 through 11, which you'll see there's a paragraph dedicated to essentially each one of these, all right? It's Lot's neighbors. And what we see with them is licentiousness, all right? Let's be real. I have a Detroit public education, all right? I do not know what that word, didn't know what that word meant. I heard it and I was like, that's a cool word. What does that mean? Had to look it up, all right? So if you are like, lie what? Don't worry about it, okay? You are like me in good company. So essentially, Lot's neighbors thought they could do whatever they wanted, all right? Licentiousness is living, doing whatever you want uh, with no law over you. You just kind of do what you think is best with, without any law, without any barriers. And so what happens in this text is that a lot of people, they focus on the homosexuality aspect of the text, that the men were trying to sleep with these men angels. And that's what tends to get our attention drawn to and what people tend to lay out, okay? And throughout Scripture, there is a... a, a, a God says, hey, no, that's not how I've intended, right? I have intended a man and a woman. So we see that really evidently in Scripture, but that's not what our eyes are supposed to be drawn to in this text. In reality, what we see is actually what they are doing. See, these men aren't just longing for other men. They're literally trying to rape these men, right? Bring them out that we may do with them as we please. And even after the angels strike them with blindness, they're groping at the door all night long until they are tired, Right? Like, like that's what's supposed to make our soul sick in some ways. That not only are they doing whatever they want, they say, who cares about God's law? I know better than God's law. I'm going to choose what's right and wrong. So they do what they want, but it gets left unchecked and it begins to get broader and broader and broader. They're licentious. They do whatever seems best to them. So we may not be Lot's neighbors, but a lot of us, when we don't think about the consequence, the effects of sin, we allow it to go more and more and more. The way that we know that is that most of us in here probably have a sin that if we showed on the screen and put your name next to it, you would feel shame for the rest of your life knowing that other people knew that. Like when you were in high school 
or when you were drunk in college or whatever it may be, when sin began to take its full effect, it does damaging things. See, here's the crazy thing. This was a one-time incident, right? Like maybe they weren't that bad normally. Maybe we could try to justify how bad they were, but this is sin left unchecked. One moment of sin at its full extent can create great damage in everybody's life. That's why it's so important, right, to, to not allow it to do that. So they're licentious. They, they do what they want. And many people today have no regard for God's law. They say, you know what, whatever, we're going to pick what's right and wrong. We're going to do what we want. That's licentious. And unfortunately, they ended up away from God, dead. Really what they ended up is they got exactly what they wanted. No rules, no barriers, no constraints, no God. And that's what we say eternity away from God is. Hell isn't like flames and, oh, I'm burning, right? That's what we think sometimes. And the Bible lays that out. What it is is you away from the presence of God. You say, I don't want God. Life unchecked is not a life you want to live, friends. It's not where you want to be. This is what it looks like. You don't want to be there, okay? Third, we see Lot's sons-in-law, verses 12 through 14. Lot actually tried to share the gospel with them, right? Like, hey, there's an escape. God's going to do something. Will you believe? And they said no. And they essentially ignored sin. They ignored the message of salvation. Hey, there's a savior to some extent, Lot's saying. And they say, yeah, that's nice, whatever. We're just going to do what we want to do. So they ignore it. And those are examples of us who not just ignore sin, but even ignore the message of the gospel. Lot preached escape, and yet they stayed. And in the end was destruction as well. And so the danger is for everyone who ignores that message in that way. Next, we see Lot's wife. In verses 15 through 26, we see Lot and his wife and his daughters escaping, except Lot's wife looks back, okay? Now, note, this isn't like they're like, oh, fire! She's like, oh, <laughs> right? That's not what happened, okay? That's We can read it sometimes. But what it is is she looked back and began to long for her old life. She was longing for, the, the, the text means to, to dwell upon, to look back and desire, right? She began to kind of follow God. She began to walk in this way. But then as she started going, she was like, wait a minute, I actually want that more. And it's not like she's like, I want to be in the middle of burning sulfur, right? Like that doesn't make any sense. What she's doing is looking back saying, that's the life I want. I don't want this life following God. I want the life doing whatever I want to do. And so she is our example for everybody who would begin to get the message of the gospel, begin to understand, but after running for a little bit, say, hold on, what, what am I doing, right? And we long for this life more. It's the parable of the seeds, Jesus says. Some people, they, the flower comes up a little bit, but the sun scorches it or the thorns choke it out, and they end up not bearing any fruit. They don't stay faithful to God. And so this is Lot's wife. Luke 9, 62 says, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So she looks back in some ways saying, I don't want the kingdom. I want that life instead. So Lot's wife becomes an analogy, even for Jesus. He says, if you would save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're actually going to gain life, eternal life. And then he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember her. Who are we, Lot or the wife? Next, we have Lot's daughters. To conclude the chapter in verses 38 or 30 through 38, we see them justifying sin. Okay? Now, ironically, this too is one of the failures of Lot. Remember, he said, hey, let me go to Zoar. And the angels were like, oh, yeah, sure, you can go to Zoar. And then he was like, oh, actually, I don't want to go there. I'm going to go in a cave. Okay? And so in some ways, the angels probably were allowing Lot to have, like, like in a city, there's probably other people. 
right? And a cave is just you and your dad, and that's awkward. And if you live like that forever, man, what type of life is that? And so in a lot of ways, Lot actually set them up for failure because he once again rejected the word of the Lord. I'm not going to listen to God. That's sinful. And now we see the consequences of that, okay? But, like, Lot is sitting here in a cave, which, total side note, that's how you know Lot, like, didn't grow up in the inner city. Because never would a hood dude be like, uh, I'm actually going to go in a cave instead, right? Like, that's far more scary than being in a city, all right? But, side note, okay? Um, what happens is, is the theme that screams at us in all these characters is lack of belief in God's promise or provision always creates ruin in our lives. Lack of belief in God's promises or in God's provision, it always creates ruin in our lives. It may not be to this extent, it may not be this broad, but listen, it's going to happen. And the more we don't believe in the promise provision of God, the more it will happen. And our lives will become more and more of a train wreck. Lot, instead of trusting in God's provision, became like his uncle Abraham and tried to take matters into his own hand. And this is what ended up happening. This is the story that we get. Right? So Lot's daughters, they try to justify sin. They knew it was wrong. That's why they got their father extremely drunk. Like, how drunk do you have to be for that to happen? Right? They like, must have sedated him almost in some ways. So they knew it's wrong, but they're justifying, how else are we going to preserve the offspring, they say. And they are an example for all of us who would justify sin, who would say things like, well, you just don't know my situation. <laughs> right? Like, like, of course I have to cheat on my taxes. I don't, I don't make a lot of money, and they're trying to take it all. Or, I need this relationship. You don't understand. The Christian men aren't pursuing me. Or whatever it may be. And so we try to take matters into our own hands rather than trusting God and his word. We start trying to justify sin and find a way because you just don't understand. As Lot's daughters probably said, we're in a cave. What do you want us to do, right? So they themselves also die. Now you may say, wait a minute, I didn't read that in the text. And you're right. They didn't die in the text, but that's why the last three verses of the text end with such chaos. It tries to show us who their descendants are. They are the Moabites and the Amorites who got utterly swept away. They whole, their whole existence was this existence of, of this ugly nation. And in the end, they all ended up dying too. So now in Lot's uh, daughter's justification, they not only create harm for their own lives, they create harm for the lives around them, the lives that they were responsible for, ended in their destruction. It's kind of like a, a pregnant woman who, who does drugs and smokes and drinks really, really heavy. Like she affects the birth of what is inside of her. So we too who sin without regard for anybody else, we don't realize how that actually affects the people around us. It hurts. Sin hurts. And so in God's judgment, what we actually see is, look, sin sucks and sin actually hurts. It ruins the people that God cares for. It ruins his creation. We see his pain even in all of this sin, that God would not desire this. And so we too who justify are in that way, the ramifications of sin. One in Lot who does believe in God, yet treated his sin with apathy. And the others and those who don't believe in God, and they try to justify or do whatever they want. But what we see is sin. That's what this story is about. Sin at its full effect. And all of these characters die. If you know the New Testament well, you know Romans 3.20 sin says uh, that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. And all die. Either literally die or you see their souls are dead. Right? Is living in a cave the rest of your life, the life that God has intended for you? Let me just go ahead and answer that for you. No. 
all right? Even if you're a really, really outdoorsy person, that's not the life God's intended, right? Like there's more life. There's more to it. God wants you to have life and life abundantly. But this is what sin does. Sin destroys life around us. This is why we have to hate. We have to hate our sin. We have to detest the sin that is inside of us because it destroys. It destroys us and people around us. But what about the other two characters? Okay. The first one that we have is Lot's intercessor. This is Abraham. We see in chapter 18, and then again before the cave incident, Abraham is looking over Lot and he's what? Interceding for Lot. Listen to this verse. 1 John 5, 16. It says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him what's that word? Life. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Saints, you have no idea the power of your prayers. Abraham prayed and beseeched for Sodom. And then if we look at verse 29, it says that God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. It was Abraham's prayers that created salvation for Lot. Abraham was interceding. And so as people of God, we can actually pray for other people and maybe even save them, give them life. So we have Lot's intercessor. Those of you who are walking with God, you have no idea the power in your prayers. No idea the power in your prayers. But the last character we have is Lot's redeemers. The angels, right? They came into the city and they literally drug Lot out of the city. Like, remember, he didn't even want to leave. And it says that they seized him by the hand and then pulled him out. Lot's angels came. They stopped the sinful men from tearing Lot apart, it says, brought him out of the city. They redeemed him. And so in the angels and in uh, Abraham, we have deliverers, people who will stand in the gap, who will get in the middle of sin and block its effects, who will try to rescue people from sins. Friends, don't you see? Do you see it? The beauty of the gospel even here in this text. See, all of us have lived licentiously at times. We say, ah, whatever, it doesn't really matter, I don't really care, right? All of us, we try to justify sin. All of us have this desire to turn back to our old life, do we not? Like, don't you at times think, wait a minute, is my life actually better now or was it better back then when I could do whatever I want? All of us are Lot's wife in some ways. We, we all justify sin. And as believers, we are tempted to live in apathy, to not actually chase God, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who in here does that? That's not a raised hand, all right? None of us do that. All of us, all of who we are, that's so hard to do. But that's what God calls for us because if we do that, that's where's life. But let's be honest. We're the first five people a lot of times, aren't we? We're all over the place. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Everything I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing anyway, Paul says. This is the great apostle Paul. says, evil lives within me. It's in my very heart and soul. I am the first five people in a lot of ways. But friends, what a savior we have in Jesus. Jesus, friends, he is the greater Abraham and he is the greater angel. 
Because Jesus right now, the Bible says, is standing before God in heaven praying for us. Romans and Hebrews says he is our high priest. And the prayers of a righteous have great power as they are working. He is righteous, friends. And he is praying for you, just like Abraham was. But in an even greater way, when Jesus is on the cross, what is he doing? praying for his enemies. When he tells Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you and you will be saved. Jesus is our greater Abraham in a lot of ways. Jesus is also the one who stands in the gap for us. God, would you save the city for 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? If you've never read that text before, can't you feel it going on, right? Uh, What about five? What about three? What about one? God, would you save a wicked person for the sake of one righteous? And the answer to that question is yes. Because the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not one, except for Jesus. So Jesus stands in the city of our heart, and God does not sweep us away because he looks at the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is the one who stands in the gap for us. Jesus is also our greater deliverer, our greater angel, who comes and seizes us by the hand. And even when we live like this, he pulls us toward salvation, God being merciful to us. We have a great Savior that can save us from our sin. Because see, here's what we think. Sin separates us from God, and that is true, okay? But Jesus isn't just our Messiah that frees us from sin. He delivers us from the effects of sin. As we look to him, he begins to heal us. He begins to shape and to turn us. Jesus is our great deliverer. Friends, this should be good news to us, that even in the midst of one of the most ugly chapters in Scripture, We have images of a savior. We have foreshadows of a savior. And Jesus comes into the greater Sodom, the world, and lives a perfect life in the midst of the most craziest sins. And he takes all of our licentiousness and our we don't really care, ignoring our longing for sin, and he pays for it at the cross that we may be seen as righteous as well. This is the gospel. Jesus, our deliverer. So what do we do? How do we apply this text then? How do we not live like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, but actually live in light of the gospel? Well, one of them is, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, then this is what happens. This is the effects of sin, and this is what Jesus came to free you from, right? We think about hell and eternity and things like that, and look, there's truth to that, okay? But he wants you to live a righteous life even now. He wants you to not be enslaved to your sin, The Bible says that whatever controls us is our master and we, their slave. And sin controls us a lot of times. You know, when you say, I'm never going to do that anymore, and then you do it like three days later, right? That means it's your master. We are enslaved to sin, but the Bible says that Jesus came and smashed those chains away that we may be free. So if you don't know Jesus, man, this is part of the gospel. This is part of the hope that we have. That if you place your faith in Jesus, if you say, I want to follow you, you get delivered from the guilt, the burden, the shame, and the slavery of sin. If you're a believer, you have to fix your eyes on Jesus, though, and to look to him. Uh, Yesterday, 
was a yard work day for us at our house, okay? Which means I went to bed really angry last night because I hate yard work, all right? Worst part of owning a house. So we were outside all day doing a bunch of yard work. And the reason I hate it is because all of the weeds in our house, right? Or not in our house, outside of our house. Probably in our house too, let's be honest, right? So literally, I will cut down a weed and then I'll leave. And then like two days later, it's like a tree, okay? Like what the heck is going on, okay? And in a lot of ways, that's a good analogy because a uh, uh, sin is kind of like the weeds. Now what happens is I'm a little bit lazy and I just kind of like mow over my weeds and hope they never come back, all right? <laughs> Like, I don't water them, hope they die, okay? But if you want to get rid of weeds, what do you have to do? I love, only one person was here from last time, but almost everybody, all right, said pull it at the root. Because that's the kind of thought that you do, is you pull it at the root, okay? But that's actually not how you get rid of weeds. Because the soil is still the exact same. And oftentimes when you pull the root, the seeds still get left, and that's why they just come right back up. And that's how most of us as believers try to handle the sin in our lives. We try to pull it at the root. It just comes right back up, right? Like, what the heck? I'm trying to kill this and it keeps coming back up. It keeps coming back up. The way you get rid of weeds is you actually plant strong grass. Change the soil, plant strong grass, and then the weeds can't grow. Why? Because it chokes out the weeds. It doesn't give it any room to break through. It gives it no nutrients. The grass actually holds it together. So how do we overcome sin in our lives? You look to Jesus. He is the grass that will stand in the way that sin would not be able to come through. He's the one that begins to change the soil of your heart so that you are able to produce fruit. Remember that analogy? right? Jesus is the one who helps us produce fruit. So as believers, we overcome sin. We don't fall into the temptation of Lot because we look to Jesus, friends, and we allow him to be our intercessor, him to be our redeemer, him to be our deliverer, and we fall in love with him. What you look at is what you'll become. Are you looking at the world, your situation, sin, or are you looking to Jesus? If you're looking to him, he will deliver you, and there is a life in him, friends. There is life in him. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, thank you that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who's there for us, that you, Jesus, would come down and live in the midst of sin. God, I thank you for the picture of the angels. They came down and put themselves in harm's way. But the difference is, is you came down and actually paid for sin for us. You came down and truly suffered. And so, God, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that right now that we would look to you as a body. Lord, that believers would be able to overcome some of the strongholds in their life. That they would not just live apathetically towards sin, but chase after you. Because you are better, Jesus. You are better. You are better, God. Help our hearts to believe that because mine doesn't most of the time. It's so hard for me to remember the truth of the gospel, so help us to remember. And Lord, I pray for those of us in the room that are maybe wrestling with whether or not you even exist. Man, God, maybe today is when you spoke into their hearts and would call them. And so friends, I just say, if that's you, if you're wrestling with God, but you say, man, I wanna overcome sin, I want a relationship with God, I want life, that's yours to be had right now. The Savior comes and tries to take your hand. Man, take his hand, friends. Believe in him, and he will give you life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the truth of who you are. 
as we close our, our service today in songs of praise, may let them even be prayers of our heart that we would long after you more and more. Praise in your very beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.